As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly and I'm joined on this podcast today uh, by James Moore and Jack Pitt-Brook. And we were, I'm going to be honest about this, we're doing this on a Thursday morning. We were going to start off talking about Maurizio Pochettino, everyone's favourite former Spurs manager, until overnight the current incumbent, Antonio Conte, who seems to be doing a round of interviews, perhaps in the Champions League uh, gap, in his schedule, about uh, what's going on at Spurs. And incredible, really, that uh, not that he should be talking about Spurs, not even that he's allowed, he's allowed to say what he wants, but is it any help when he turns around and says the things he said, including James starting uh, or talking in one interview about how Spurs have weakened, if that's the correct translation, weakened the squad in the January transfer window. Why would you say that? Yeah, I mean, that's the first thing we should say, isn't it? Obviously, I, I don't think this whole interview has been published or broadcast yet. That's and correct. You know, we have the standard sort of caveats about mistranslations, but it does seem that he has made quite a big uh, quite a big point of talking about the number of players that left the club last month uh, in comparison to the number of players that came in, which I'm sure uh, everyone will remember we were in agreement with that that, that, that was an issue. Uh and they only have to look at the bench in Tottenham's last two games to see that they are probably a bit short, particularly of attacking players and midfield players. However, it was very much of our understanding that, that Conte wanted those four players gone. One of them, Hill, he he was quite adamant wasn't ready or, or certainly suggested he didn't think was ready for the Premier League. And and, and I don't think anyone would necessarily disagree with that, by the way. The other three, Deli, Lacelso and and Dombele, were all very much out of favour too. And were players that I think we all knew that Spurs were going to try and shift by hook or by crook during that window if they could. So I, I don't necessarily agree that... Or, or, or sorry, I should say I'm surprised to hear him quite so upset by that, given very, the impression that I think we've been given was very much that that, would be, that had been what he wanted to happen, to clear out, maybe not quite Deadwood, maybe not quite bad eggs, but the players that perhaps weren't quite as aligned with his... Uh, 
Dead eggs. His tactical <laughs> dead eggs. His tactical master plan um, that weren't maybe suited to that. So I, I can, I, I would certainly agree that Spurs are probably at least one player short, and that he he could be annoyed that they didn't bring another player in, whether or not that's a right wing back or a creative midfield player or whatever. But I'm surprised to see him make such a big deal of losing those four players. If Conte thought Ndombele was such an important player, why did he have him training on his own? Why did he not play Ndombele, Lacelso, and Delhi over the last few months? Because I mean, you're asking what what sounds like rhetorical questions, but I shall re- yeah. I shall retort. Um, and the answer is, of course, that he doesn't think they're very important players. He thinks they're no good, and he wants them out of the club. And then afterwards, he can turn around and say, "Oh, things haven't gone the way I would we would we would have wanted them." At Spurs, but it struck me as always, and I don't want to, you know, do the final line on this in the, in the, in the start of the conversation. Some of these super elite managers, and we know that Jose Mourinho makes a habit of this as well. Every word out of their mouth appears to be of some stitch in a tapestry they're making to cover their own backside if things don't go right. And I'll say this to Antonio Conte, and I know he listens. And I'm happy to get him on, onto the podcast whenever he wants. One of you two will have to be bumped. Sorry about that. Get on with the job, mate. You're paid an enormous amount of money to get on with the current job, not to be looking three jobs down the line, how this might look to some oil magnet or some to some American business corporation group who owns another club. Get on with the blinking job you've got now. I, I find it undermining and, 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 and demeaning. And also, if I was Jack Clark... To not be included in the important players, I'd be very, very upset as well. <laughs> but very the, upset. The thing is, this isn't start last night when he's given, uh, I think actually two interviews that, have come, or that are going to come out today. This has been going on for maybe sort of six weeks, seven weeks, sort of back, back into kind of late mid-December, where he was starting to talk about the transfer window and the work that needed to be done. And again, this isn't to say that the things he has said are untrue. And I think more or less everyone would agree with pretty much every point that he's made in these interviews. Certainly what we've yeah. certainly what I we've kind of fair. made into it so far. And it's not it's not so much that they're kind of inconvenient truths, but they're more I would say like unhelpful truths, aren't they? Like, like yeah. what's, I don't really see what's the benefit of coming out of all of this now. I mean I don't I I can't really see like what it's not going to motivate the existing players. And I don't think you know, with experience of of, of uh, supporting a team run by Daniel Levy for the last twenty odd years, I don't imagine that's going to uh, move a dial for him in terms of like funds in the summer, is it? I mean, he's not going to suddenly decide. Well, actually, our manager's gone and uh, given a, a slightly moody interview to uh, an Italian broadcaster, so we'll give him a bit more money in in the summer transfer window. Now. That's definitely not going to happen. Yeah, in that sense, it reminds me a little bit of when Mourinho used to criticise the players in that. What he's that, what he said was true, but that doesn't make it the right thing to say. Like it's not really the. I don't think it's really the job of the manager necessarily to tell the truth. Like I don't think you know he's not an analyst. What a manager says in public is much more to do with perceptions and motivations and politics, and it's in that context I think rather than like the extent to which it is true that we should judge Antonio Conte, what Antonio Conte said. And for that reason, I do think it is, I mean, he's clearly playing politics, clearly playing politics with the club. And as Danny says, probably playing, you know, trying to burnish his reputation down the line. Like there's, there's been, ever since Conte's come in, there's been a huge kind of expectation management game that he's played. Talking about how bad the situation is at Tottenham, you know, the quality of the players. He said this a lot of times after games. He said it again over the last week with those two defeats against Wolves and Southampton. 
And this is really, I think this should ultimately be judged in, you know, as a piece of that, this endless expectations game, which might turn out to work, to look really well if he turns things around and he can say, oh, look, I inherited a disaster, but I have actually got us up to fourth or won us the cup or whatever. But until then, it's, um, yeah, it's pretty miserable. I mean, look, sorry, managers all do it in a kind of, in a kind of way, you know, even someone as popular with both fans and the press as Harry Redknapp repeated his mantra about three points from eight games when he was appointed, as as it was clear that, that Spurs were, you know, under his tutelage, pulling away from the relegation zone. He couldn't stop himself reminding people that they had been in the relegation zone. So I'm not picking on Antonio Conte particularly about this. Um, sorry, James, I, 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 I absolutely interrupted you as you were about to drop the latest truth bomb. Well, no, I was going to say, I mean, it is a thing that all managers do and managing expectations it, it, in and of itself isn't, uh, isn't a bad thing but the timing of it is pretty dreadful isn't it you've had I mean maybe you could argue your two worst results of a season or certainly two of the three in with Palace two of the worst performances of the season and I'm mean, including all the Nuno bit in here as well you know it feels like things are moving backwards I mean certainly in a short ter- shorter term realistically these interviews would have been in the diary from before the Southampton game I think we all know the way these things work uh, and as you say, you know, it's a quiet week for Spurs, Champions League week, they've not got a midweek game, so it's a logical time to do that kind of stuff. And obviously, we at The Athletic certainly can't complain about, you know, the media wanting to do interviews, obviously. But it feels like incredible, incredible, an incredible thing to come out and say this week off the back of those two games, when, uh, you know, if they'd lost, so, so, you know, if you lose to Chelsea a couple of times, or you, you know, as they did, or they lose to Manchester City, or Liverpool, or whatever, or, you know, drop points against... It, it, even sort of West Ham Arsenal, you kind of think, okay, you know, that, that, that's maybe not a terrible time to say something like that. But having dropped points at home, lost at home to Southampton and Wolves, who are both good teams, as we said on those two podcasts, don't get me wrong, but they are still games that Spurs should be looking to win, even if they don't. They should be competitive um, in the games. They should be competitive yeah. in the games, and that's it, yeah, they weren't. The optics of that are just ludicrous. They're so bad. To come out like, you know, you've, you've lost those two games. It feels like we're on a real low. It feels like we're sort of below the league position you would expect Spurs to be. And I don't think many people would have expected Spurs to finish as low as eight or to be as low as eight for any, you know, during the season. To then come out and say at that point, I mean, that does seem a bit... I'm just not sure that's the right moment for that kind of chat. And there's something else. I mean, and Jack, you can tell me if I'm overreacting here. And I don't want to be, you know, there's a tendency, isn't there, to start behaving like an old-fashioned criminologist and to start dissecting every syllable and phoneme of what he said. But it does seem to me that even below the ass-covering part of this, there is something more damaging going on. And that is, he appears, if the translation is completely accurate, to be describing a complete disconnect between his idea how to move the club forward and that of the club itself, insofar as he keeps using the word experienced over and over again, and then he puts up the idea that Spurs only want to buy young players. Indeed, he describes Kulusevski and Bentancur, people who have won league titles, by the way, as inexperienced players that Tottenham want to bring in. And that, for me, was the most damaging thing. Am I overreacting? I don't disagree with you, actually, on this. I think that that it is fair to draw a distinction between Conte wanting more experienced signings and the club not pursuing those experienced players. F- funnily enough, it reminded me of a... Uh, he gave a press conference back here in the middle of January during the transfer window, and he was asked about this. You know, Does the squad need more experienced players? And he 
the, the answer he gave suggested that he thought, yes, that is what they needed, more experienced players. He says, when you go to sign experienced players, it's usually because you can spend money. This is one reason. And then there is another reason. When you go to sign experienced players, it can help you. It can help the players in the squad, especially if there are young players without great experience. It's not simple to sign experienced players, but at the same time, I think there are players who can build something important. And then he pointed to the example of what Zlatan Ibrahimovic has done at AC Milan and how important he's been. And this was a press conference on the 14th of January. And the question came about because when Conte was at Inter, which is often held up as you know a kind of example for what he's doing at Tottenham, in the sense that they'd been rubbish for ages and then he helped them to win the league, he signed tons of experienced players. Look at the experienced players that Conte signed at Inter. Gudin, Lukaku, Ashley Young, Eriksson, Hakimi, Alexis Sanchez, Alexander Kolarov, Arturo Vidal. Like that's a lot of experience and a lot of quality and a lot a lot of quality and a lot of money as well going into those guys. So clearly I think it's you know, I think it's certainly fair to take the implication from this that Conte wanted Tottenham, wants Tottenham to sign more experienced players. And in January, of course, you know, they wanted Dharma Traore, experienced player. Luis Diaz, pretty experienced player. Didn't get either of them. So I don't think, so, which is, so basically, yeah, I agree. I think Conte would rather that Tottenham sign experienced players than they have. Is Ben Tenkur not a more experienced player than Adama Traore and Diaz, though? In Three or four league titles, right? Maybe that's fair. Maybe that's fair. Played yeah. in the Champions League most in the world every, every year of his last, you know, of his contract at okay. Juventus. I, I accept that point. But he's, but nevertheless, I think it is, so he's 24, Ben Tenkur. Mm. I think it is fair to say that Conte would rather Tottenham had added you know, some players more akin to the profile of those Inter players I just listed. I mean, I, I'm sure that's true and I, and I don't necessarily think that would have been a bad thing if that had happened, but surely that conversation has been had in November when he took the job. The kind of players that the club are going to try and sign. And we, I think we all know Spurs are very unlikely to be throwing big money in transfer fees at wages at, at players with no sell-on value or, or very little chance of having sell-on value. Well, that's, that's the next part of it, isn't it? A bit like Harry Kane's Gentleman's Agreement, um, the legendary Gentleman's Agreement. All of this stuff revolves around what was said between Daniel Levy or whoever did the negotiation, Paratici, even Steve Hitchin, without whom, of course, the club has now gone to absolute pot, as you pointed out, James, so, so amusingly um, on social media yesterday. Whoever did the, the talking to him, it almost feels like that we need to hear a recording of that of all the minutes of that meeting, because I, you know, I can't believe that Antonio Conte, a brilliant football manager and analyst that he is, didn't know from a distance how good or bad this Spurs squad was, and I can't believe that he was promised things so much more than what previous Spurs managers have had to to operate with. Suddenly, this. This one or two, whatever it was, meetings become the seesaw in which this argument goes back and forth. I mean, they did go out and sign two players who may or may not end up costing, what is it, like sort of 70 million quid or yeah, 80 a lot. million quid. Yeah. So, which actually is a lot more than Spurs have done in transfer windows in the past, particularly January transfer windows. So maybe he has actually been given that already. Not necessarily saying that's wrong. It's more the choice of words and the choice of moments. I just don't think there's if there's any benefit at the moment. I, I, yeah, it's, it, to me, it just seems completely unnecessary. The other point I want to make on this is that the fact that Conte is coming out in public and saying, this is what the club policy is, as in signing younger players. This is what I'd like us to do. 
as in signing experienced players. And like, that's a bit of a generalization of what he said, but that's the thrust of it. It does remind it does remind you the issue that comes when the only person from a football club who will speak in public defending the club's strategy is the head coach because if Tottenham have a strategy of signing young players which I think they probably do then somebody from Tottenham ideally should come out and say that rather than having a situation this kind of like asymmetrical situation where the head coach can come and present the club strategy in a slightly negative light but nobody will come out and, and advocate for the strategy. Now, we know that Daniel Levy doesn't like to speak publicly about football matters, hasn't since the famous uh, Tottenham DNA letter yeah. of late May. But when Paratici came in, in June, it was suggested to me that, you know, maybe this would be good because Paratici's used to dealing with the media. When he was at Juventus, he would speak before the games and was a bit of a kind of public presence, which took a bit of the heat away from... Conte or Allegri or whoever the head coach was at the time, and that might be a good thing. But since Paratici's been in the job, he's he did the press conference before the Vitesse Arnhem game, Conte's first game, where Conte was waiting for clearance. He's done a few interviews with the Tottenham official channels, but he's not really been a kind of public media-facing figure. And I'm sure some people listen to this and say, oh, a typical journalist, you just want the easy copy of somebody talking to you. And that, I mean, that's kind of, that, that is slightly true. But it would definitely help Tottenham to have someone, whether that's Paratici or Levy, to say, yes, this is our strategy. Our strategy is to sign young players. Instead of just allowing Conte to kind of chip away at the club's strategy without anybody fronting up and, and kind of promoting it. But it's, just, it's not just a Tottenham problem. You know, C- City, all the other big clubs are like this. Again, a question for you, uh, Jack. You, you see myself and uh, and James here with our Spurs tattoos on our neck and all the rest of it. And are, are we ground down by a decade and a half of underachievement? Should we be actually backing the manager here and saying, yes, that's an ambitious thing to say. We need 10 better players. We need um, the 10 best players in the world and a great goalkeeper. Uh, have we just become so, I suppose, as I say, ground down by the situation that, that we're, 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 any sign of rocking the boat is, is taken negatively. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm not sure. I think, I think a lot of part of what's why this is kind of troubling at the moment is because Tottenham have kind of gone all in on Conte. Like, there's not really any other... I don't really detect there being any other plan or identity or anything, really, apart from let's go get Conte because he's the best manager we can get. You know, Tottenham have been in this kind of rolling identity crisis for the last sort of three or four years now, since the back end of the Pochettino era. And they, it just feels like a little bit like, I I said in this podcast a few weeks ago that the good thing about Conte compared to to Mourinho is that Mourinho felt a bit like, oh, aren't you lucky to be managed by me, the great Mourinho? And Conte wasn't like that. But I think that, I kind of feel like Conte is moving in that direction a bit, if you know what I mean. Aren't you lucky to be managed by the great Antonio Conte? I've got to say, by the way, just on that, I, I think that's, if that is where we think we are now, I, I think we've got there quicker than we did with Mourinho. Because to me, I, I don't, what, what, we're like three months in, four months in, and we're already having these kind of conversations. And do you think with Mourinho, I mean, four months in, I guess, is probably to, what what the point actually where it was feeling like it was all going wrong just before the lockdown, I guess, first lockdown, and the season stopping. But I don't really remember, remember him coming out with this kind of no, he was still at that stage. I could, I could be wrong. He was still doing the slightly smiley interviews in that lilac tracksuit top that he favoured yeah. at that stage. And then when his mood changed, he got the navy blue one out, didn't he, to show that things were darker. 
Um, and he's, he's an extraordinary <laughs> yeah, look, uh, yeah, uh, performer from that point of view. I, I, I'm not for a second suggesting that I, I, I'm longing for the days of Jose Mourinho, just to be clear. I, I'm far, far happier with Antonio Conte at the club, either, either than Jose Mourinho or him not being there at all. But I, it, it's just an interesting comparison. We've analysed this as best we can until we see the rest of the interview, what else he's been saying. We may even get some context there. Conte text? I don't know. My, my question was going to be, how will Daniel Levy react? But the club has, even in the few hours between the, the publication of this truncated version of the interview and now, has at least moved. I believe some journalists, selected journalists, Jack, it should be said, have been given a kind of translation that's, that's minutely different from the, from, the, from the one that was initially reported. Is that right? Yeah, so there is a translation going around talking about trying to provide a bit of clarity as to what specifically Conte said. And, you know, I genuinely think it's worth, that it's worth acknowledging the fact that language can be a barrier to this kind of thing. For example, when he gave the Be In Sports interview, which was part of the same round of kind of rights holders interviews, which is why he would have done Be In Sports and Sky Italia ahead of a big Premier League game this week, there was a moment where he appeared to say that Tottenham only have a 1% chance of finishing fourth. Having listened back to it, I don't think that's what he actually meant. I think he meant in that context, it, we would only need to have a 1% chance of finishing fourth for me to be up for the challenge. But that's so that, two that's very different things, isn't it? So I do, I do accept the point that on issues like this, there can be a slight language issue, whether it's either Conte speaking Italian and it being translated into English or Conte speaking in English, which isn't, which is good, but not 100% precise. So in that sense, yeah, it's probably worth like caveating a fair bit of judgment with with that. But let's uh, let's wait and see what he says on Friday. He's giving another press conference Friday lunchtime, I imagine, ahead of the City game, where I'm sure he will just get asked over and over again to re-clarify these comments. Yeah, as a per- well, uh, okay. Let, let's leave it at that. Uh, only on the grounds that we we you know that will be the next uh, layer of it. And you're right to say that that, conf- that conference will be dominated by. What did you say to the television companies? What did you mean by it? Rather than the question, they might want to ask him, how on earth can you get this Spurs team to beat that Manchester City team like you did on the first day of the season? And that's one of the two things we'll be turning our attention to in the second half of today's View from the Lane. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. You see this? 
this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, welcome back. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can read all of our articles on Spurs as well as everything else on the site by going to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. And right now you can sign up for just £1 a month for six months. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. And before Antonio Conte at the very least stirred the pot overnight, what we were going to talk about in the week where Spurs have had no midweek game, there was a midweek game that I watched the full length of and that was the first leg of the Champions League round of 16 tied between Paris Saint-Germain and Real Madrid. Um, Paris got a very narrow win. Jack, you were there. So we were going to talk about Maurizio Pochettino. Still very much beloved, perhaps unhealthily so by the likes of me. First of all, what was the experience like in, in Paris, Jack? Uh, because, because, you know, on television, the game looked to me to be slightly underwhelming, certainly in comparison to the technical level of Inter Milan against Liverpool last night. But of course, what you see on television and what you're feeling in the stadium are often two very different things. Yeah, so I I think the the problem with the game for me was that Real Madrid was so bad. I couldn't believe how bad they were. They were pathetic. (laughs) They were... They just sat, they dug in, they defended deep, they didn't even press, they didn't do anything with the ball. They were off. They were, honestly, it was the... And there's always this thing with Real Madrid where you watch them play and then you think, Christ, they're so bad, aren't they? And then in May, they've won the Champions League again. But I kind of feel like this... We've been saying about them for years, oh, they're too old, they can't just have Modric. Modric and Benzema won't last forever. Like, Modric and Benzema are older than me. Wow. That's how old they are. And yet... It's kind of the same team as it always and has Kroos been. And Kroos and Casemiro, so, who was probably their best player. They're, and they're, they're yeah. the rub. Their oh, defensive midfielder exactly, was the best yeah. player on the, the pitch. Their best player was the guy who was going around, char- charging around, tackling yeah. people and fouling people, which is really good at. Yeah. <laughs> but So I thought they were terrible. But I thought PSG were very good on the ball. They actually, And what I liked about them was they kind of looked a bit like a Pochettino team. I think it probably helped having Neymar on the bench, so they had Dim Maria in the team instead. They they dominated, they played high up the pitch, they passed the ball well. They kind of, maybe they could have created a little bit more, but they were a bit, maybe a bit unlucky. I thought Mbappe was sensational and they were fully, even though the win came with the last kick of the game, they fully deserved it. So what did you make of Mauricio Pochettino? Uh, I liked the fact that when they got that late goal and what a lovely piece of play it was by Kylian Mbappe, was it on the TV stations asking all the newspapers, asking if this was the moment that Mbappe had arrived on the world stage? Um, mate, mate. Well, that's actually a joke, <laughs> Oh, thank God. Daddy. So thank God. basically this was, I think, in one of the games this time last year where uh, Mbappe, 
it might have been the hat trick he scored against Barcelona, I think. Somebody, one of the TV commentators said, could this be the moment that Mbappe has finally announced himself on the world stage? So as a joke, I took during the sort of last year, every time Mbappe did anything, to tweeting that line, which I actually forgot to do yesterday. Oh, sorry, on Tuesday night, annoyingly. James obviously finds this hilarious. Uh, uh, yeah, I love all your little in-jokes. They're great. Spoken like someone who has to spend too much of their time talking to me. <laughs> the, the, yeah, exactly. The joke, uh, of course, uh, you, you, it's very hard to tell these days because at halftime in the game last night between Inter and Liverpool, the pundits on BT were genuinely rubbing their eyes in amazement that Inter Milan are a good football team. So did, uh, at the end of the game, Pochettino did that, that, that lovely thing where he shakes both his fists slightly awkwardly, like he's um, playing maracas in a pub band. Um, and I was pleased for him because it does seem to me, if he loses this tie, we know what Paris are like, he'll be out of there. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. I think if they, go, if they went out to Real Madrid, I think that were, I'm sure that PSG would look for a different coach for next season. Uh, but he's seen, so I think in that sense, this is really one of the biggest and best wins of, his time in PSG. Um, I saw it's good to see him and Miguel D'Agostino and Jesus Perez in the press conference afterwards. And I asked, you know, is this, did this look like your your ideas of football out on the pitch today? And he said, well, you know, as you know from Tottenham, it, it takes a while. It can take a, a year or so to really get the ideas across. But we did play like like we wanted to this evening. And also the other thing to, to point out here is post away goal. You know, in the, in the away goals era, drawing nil nil in your first leg at home isn't that bad because you can win. You can go through the score yep. draw away. But post away goals, nil nil at home is rubbish. Uh, so they really needed that one nil, that one nil win to help them for the second leg. So yeah, I think they'll I think they'll go through. I don't know whether they'll win it. I think City, City and Liverpool are probably better than them overall. But it was good to see them actually playing a bit like a Pochettino team. Just on that press conference. And we're Pochettino, are you suggesting the significance of that game, that result to Pochettino at the club? Did did he compare it to that Aston Villa game? It sort of feels similar. He didn't. He didn't, unfortunately. More for him. Yeah. Waiting for that Aston Villa comparison to come to come around, but it never did. Well, I think you don't have to be uh, Nostradamus or Steve Hitchin to work out that Unless they win the Champions League, which I think, like yourself, is very unlikely. I'd also put Chelsea and Bayern Munich ahead of Paris Saint-Germain with the possibility of winning it. It does look like, how do we put this delicately? His time in Paris is coming to an end. Where will Pochettino go next? I mean, I remember the day he was sacked in an infamous confrontation between myself and Jamie O'Hara on Talk Sport, saying that I thought he was one of the world's great managers. Jamie disagreed, and I promised him that he would end up at one of the, the elite clubs in in European football, certainly financially, Paris Saint-Germain are that. What, where would be the, the, uh, uh, an interesting or logical place for Maurizio Pochettino to end up next? And I say this hearing in, in one, loads of people are screaming, come back to Spurs, come back to Spurs. Where is he going to go? What, how is this? Nobody gets blamed for not succeeding at Paris Saint-Germain. Thomas Tuchel didn't get blamed. And you, can't, you know, uh, Unai Emery didn't get blamed. Yeah, I mean... PSG look pretty stupid for sacking Tuchel now because he's won the Champions League and the Club World Cup. In terms of what happens next to Pochettino, well, it depends when he leaves PSG. I think one thing we've learned from last summer, he will leave PSG when PSG decide. Mm-hmm. PSG will not allow their manager to walk out into another job against their wishes. They they proved that to Tottenham last May. And, you know, if he does really well, wins Liga, wins the Champions League, then maybe PSG will keep him for another year and he won't get to go anywhere. If he does very badly... It's probably easier for him to move on to a job of his choosing next time, strangely enough. 
In terms of where that might be, well, I think Man United would be favourites. I don't think that's fully done. Like, there's been some reports that it is, but that's not my information. Uh, although clearly they like him. And I think Pochettino himself is kind of attracted to the idea of reviving the great Man United and turning them around. That said, Chelsea have always liked him. There's a long-standing right? kind of curiosity Ugh. from Chelsea about Pochettino. <sighs> Um, which and That's you know, disgusting. Tuchel, I feel like this 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 Chelsea season could still go one this way, is, one way. Or stop, this, this is another. Sorry, this is another unhelpful truth. This doesn't help anyone. You coming on here and saying that no sorry, one needs to I hear just, that. Okay, well, we'll uh, edit, uh, producer Tom, can we maybe delete that bit out? Of the <laughs> no, 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 don't. Um, if, if only because <clears> of the noise that came out the back of uh, James's throat there. I like to hear that in a podcast. The, the noise of somebody fighting back bile. It was very, very good indeed. Uh, Real Madrid have had a kind of on and off interest in Pochettino for the last few years. There were definitely a few times when he was at Tottenham and they had a look at him. They were so bad last night that I wouldn't be surprised if Perez, that you know, who doesn't think about these things in great detail, I think, thinks that guy Pochettino is pretty good. Why don't I give him another? Perez another is ring? too too busy with his plans for Super League Two, isn't he, to be thinking about things like who manages Real Real Madrid? And the one other one is I wouldn't completely. This is kind of a bit of speculation on my part, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't. With a bit of, I wouldn't completely rule out Manchester City. I just think I th- I've always been under the impression that Pochettino and Brendan Rodgers were the two likeliest post Pep City managers, and obviously you know Rodgers is having a tough time himself at the moment. And it, I mean, again, that all that all hinges on timing. It depends. Does Pep walk at the end of this season? Does he walk in a year's time, two years time, whatever? But I wouldn't, I wouldn't be super shocked to see Pochettino show up at City eventually. I've got to say, I, I see those t- the two biggest German clubs. In different ways, both feel like a good fit for him for me. Yeah, I can just like that like kind of the passion and the emotion of of Dortmund is incredibly pot. Like you can just imagine him being there and it all being incredibly because he kind of has that sort of club, you know, cult of personality thing going on. Yeah. the way he runs a club, you I kind of see that. that working really well. And like also, that's quite an appealing one to go in and you know, they've got young players. Can you overturn Bayern? It kind of feels like his sort of thing. And then obviously Bayern, again, you know, they develop players as well. And although they're kind of the reigning champions for whatever it is, 12 years, and it's all a bit boring, it's an opportunity for him to go and win a title. So either of those, I think, would kind of work. I'm not suggesting... And again, that's even more speculation than it is from Jack, but I I can kind of see it. We're partially doing this European manager merry-go-round because the events of the last 12 hours leave you with a feeling... James, that, you know, Conte may not be for the long run in this, but he, he may be tired of it already. I mean, I, I don't think anyone ever really thought he would be in it for the long run. I mean, obviously, in modern football, the long run for a manager is what, like, sort of two and a half, two and a two half, and half seasons. seasons, yeah. And even then, I'm not sure many people thought Con- Conte was going to be there much longer than that. So, so yeah, I mean, I think, uh, uh, you know, for us to have a conversation is one thing, but I certainly think it would be beneficial for the club to have an idea of what they want to do next. Even if it's not like one specific name, no. if it's kind of broadly an idea of the type of person they want and the kind of structure they want, just so we don't have another sort of 72-day wait like we did at very, the start of last yeah. season. Because uh, I think if they have got the house in order, things could have been very different if Conte had been a manager from the start of the season, I think. We probably wouldn't be having these kind of conversations and he probably wouldn't be giving these kind of interviews if he'd been charged from the summer. Well, look, this has been a fun piece of speculation. All right, I am forced by contractual obligation and local bylaws to say, 
can can you we ever see Maurizio Pochettino back at White Hart Lane? He always said he he would like to when he first got you know first got removed from there. But of course, water flows very fast under bridges, and time moves on very very quickly. Yes, I can, but not. I don't think his next job will be Tottenham. I don't think there's any chance of that. I think his next job will be another kind of you know another one of the super clubs. I don't think the don't think it would really work right now for him to come back to Spurs. I don't think it would work with Piracci being there. Uh, so no, not right now. But not. I'm not saying it'll never happen either. James, I mean, do you want to bring him back? Do you want the open top bus parade down the high road? I, I mean, as tempting as it is, and for all we've said over the last sort of forty minutes or so, like the fact that Spurs were able to go out and get Conte, I, I think has kind of moved a dial for me a bit in terms of like my desire for Pochettino to come back, purely because clearly the club still has a stature that can attract a manager of that standing. Which is obviously like the emotional attachment to Pochettino is so strong, like way more than I think it probably ever will be realistically with Conte. I mean, I don't know what Conte would have to do to have that. I suspect like win the league realistically. I, I my sense, I mean, and this is a massive cliche, but I, it just wouldn't be the same. Like, you know, never go back is a phrase, right? And mm-hmm. I just, so, I mean, how often do you see a manager go back to a club a second time around? It doesn't happen that often, really. No. But when it does, you know. I mean, how many times did Howard Kendall go to Everton? It was about 15 times, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, they got progressively worse every single time. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just don't, I don't think like, Pochettino coming back is going to be like the solution to all Tottenham's problems. No. I, I don't, I don't really see that. He, he might make us all feel better about things, which I guess in a way is the biggest problem, I suppose. As a football fan, that's you, you know, you want to kind of enjoy watching your team and the experience of supporting the club. So I suppose in a way, maybe it would. But I don't think Pochettino could walk into this club tomorrow. And suddenly supposed to be like a fully cohesive team and club again. I think there's a lot more to be done than that, involving more than just the manager as well. All of which, gentlemen, thank you for your views on that. All of which um, means that we can no longer avoid the issue of Tottenham's next actual competitive football match. Away at Manchester City. Yum, yum, yum. Nom, nom, nom. And yet, it is you don't have to be a person um, with a bus pass to remember the last time the Spurs did beat Manchester City, the opening day of the season. They actually played really, really well in a slightly Nuno way, uh, slightly when Mourinho was doing well way, in that they they found a way to defend very, very well and to keep the ball and get it up the pitch. It doesn't seem so simple now, not least because City are in a almost supernatural run of form. I can't think of another team, even Liverpool in Europe currently, who could pull off a run of form like they're in. There are teams in Germany and or, or or Holland or whoever who can go on long, long winning runs. But City look just—it's frightening. I mean, it's small left because it's, it's sport. It's not the borders of, of of the old Soviet empire. It's it's football frightening to watch what they're doing. Come on, then. You're both clever men. You're both highly paid individuals. You're both football analysts. What can Spurs do to get at least a result, a draw? I'll settle for a draw in Manchester at the weekend. Pray, maybe? Well, you're all turning to religion, are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think the biggest difference, and Jack, as ever, will know better than me, if Dyer's back uh, and they can kind of rejig that defence a little bit around him, then that would definitely make a big difference. Because I think if you, can get, if you put Dyer back in the middle and Romero back out to the right, suddenly I think that defence looks so much more solid. So that would be the big one. I don't think Skip is going to be back. I think they've kind of confirmed that that won't be the case, which obviously is a big shame. Um, and the other thing, without wanting to repeat uh, things I said on the last two podcasts I was on, but uh, stick an extra man in midfield, and go 3-5-2. I, 
I would say those would be the two things they could do to give himself a chance. I mean, hoping the goalkeeper doesn't chuck one in as well, I guess, would probably help. Sure. He's usually in the credit column, isn't he? But he was terrible the other day. Jack, insider dealing, how can we beat Manchester City? Well, um, I agree with James, three five two getting Dyer back. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the problem is that I can't, you know, can't, even Conte's successes this year, the times that they played well have generally been, like, yeah, they, the draw against Liverpool was good, but that was a kind of back and forth, end-to-end game. Like, the I, Conte, this kind of really shows the problem that Conte's got, is that Conte is all about, oh, we must suffer, it's important to, to suffer. Tottenham are rubbish at suffering. They're really, really, like, they're really bad Even at suffering. Even after all this time. Just, yeah, <laughs> we saw that in the Chelsea games. You know, up against the team who's better than them, they they don't know how to they don't know how to compete at the moment. So it's I can't see Tottenham sitting deep, letting City have the ball, frustrating them. At the same time, if City, if Tottenham kind of play up the pitch and press, then I think City will pick them off. So I yeah, I'm, I'm not really optimistic for Tottenham to finding a way to get a result. In this it's game. weird that Spurs have such a good home record against Man City when away they've generally been really bad. I mean, since since the yeah. Champions League game and all the away games there, there must have been, what, three or four since then. They've been terrible, really. And yet, yeah. City haven't even scored at, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. In Never. Like, what, like five Never. games, six maybe? Yeah. It just seems weird that that can make such a big difference. It shouldn't do, should it? In, 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 the, in the days of, you know, all the, all the things that we used to think led to home advantage, the pitches were different sizes, the surface of the pitches were often very, very different. Those things are all long gone. But especially given the way City play, like this highly mechanised way that Manchester City play, it like should take away all of that stuff. Yeah, and everything they the do should be is... so sort of ingrained mentally in, in the yeah. way. And that's how you see them go away, like in midweek in Europe, when fighting and away from home. And yet yeah. going to Tottenham, they should just be completely frazzled. Personally speaking, I, th- I think the only thing that ever seems to disturb Manchester City with my eyes, and I have no uh, UEFA coaching badges, is if you if you break their rhythm, you could do it in the old days by fouling them, but they can't do that now. Um, so you have to somehow threaten them. And the only way to threaten Manchester City, since they play all their players in your half, is with a, with the long ball. So I'd play Son up front and Kane, and Kane behind him. Um, and let Kane be the extra midfielder. And, and and genuinely belt this ball long so that Son's pace would at least force Manchester City defenders to face the other way. Otherwise, you're endlessly playing. Uh, with Guardiola, he has developed a kind of, it's not football, is it? It's handball. The tactics are more t- akin to the game of handball where you pass it around in an arc around the shooting area before someone gets the opportunity to either play that incisive pass in, in, inside the fullback or the pullback from the, from the, from the, 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 the byline. No one has employed me as a football coach uh, ever. Even when I was uh, the organiser of a team on Hackney Marshes, somebody else was left to do the tactics, as I remember. So, But that's my, that's my input. Play long, force them at least to do something other than what they habitually do. Um, they are a great team. Let's, let's, let's end with that as well. It's kind of amazing how this season, I thought the City would probably not be that good this season just because, you know, Pep's been there a while and I thought there'd be a hangover from the losing the Champions League final and the players might get a bit bored of Pep. But the extent to which they seem to have mastered, just mastered playing football and winning in this way that they've got is amazing. Like They've won 19 out of the last 21 no, games ex- and one of those was a Champions League dead rubber, so it doesn't really count. It's unreal no, they are, how good it, they, they are. are extraordinary and, they've and you know, um, and Guardiola... I, I, I take it, I can hear people shouting again through my headphones. He's always got the best players. He's always got the best team. Even allowing for that, 
Um, you know, the City have had two setbacks during the during the close season. They didn't get Harry Kane, and they 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 to use the prime minister's words, spat a hundred million on a player they didn't really need in Jack Grealish. Um, and yet they are better than they were, and and that is without Grealish making. I'm thinking about it carefully, making virtually any contribution at all. They've had. It's not luck. Take Spurs out of the equation. Let's say that Spurs are given their own place in another league where they always finish first and always qualify for the Champions League, so I don't have to worry about the competitiveness of it. Just watching Manchester City over the past few years. Um, and somehow they don't... I've got this right, James. They don't fall into the Spanish team of 10 years ago. And even Barcelona in the, in sort of in, in the, in the Messi-Javi years, occasionally you, you find yourself nodding off um, because it's so relentless, the tick attacker. But they're, they're not like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's kind of boring in a sense because they're so good. There's almost so little like jeopardy or, or peril there, is there? But they're not They're not as kind of tedious in possession as particularly that Spain team. I mean, that Spain team, I, I, I find <laughs> it incredible that people are going about them as being like a great entertaining team because they just, they just were not. No, no, because they were they were Barcelona without Lionel Messi, and then that, yeah, exactly, and that, yeah. that doesn't necessarily work. Well, and with Sergio Ramos, and without and without Dani Alves. <laughs> well, <laughs> but the, the the thing about the Grealish signing is that we were talking the other week about how uh, the the reason that Tottenham spending fifty million on Tanky and Dombele looks bad is because Tottenham have no margin of mm. error because they never spend big money on players, so they couldn't afford the Dombele signing to go wrong. Whereas the opposite is true of Grealish, which is that if you have all of the money in the world. And our colleague Adam Crafton's written a brilliant piece today on just how how does City have so much sponsorship re- revenue? Where does all that money come from? Um, you can get you can buy someone for a hundred million quid, and he doesn't play, and you're still brilliant. You know, it doesn't make a difference. You know that you, you can afford to get a hundred million pounds. Oh, and, and, and of course, you, you also are afforded um, such as the way that the laws of time and space are bent by money. You can afford for Greenish to have a year and a half where he's not quite what you're expecting. Riyad Mahrez did not instantly click at Manchester City. And you watch him now and you think, oh God, how did they ever stop him doing that thing with his left foot, you know? Um, and they can't. Yeah, but then if Grealish, if Grealish becomes good in two years' time, people will say, what a clever signing that was. £100 million on Jack Grealish. After two years in which he hasn't done anything. Which um, So yeah, in that sense, like it is always worth bearing in mind that City and Tottenham are kind of fundamental. They are. And, and, and as are, uh, there's only a handful of teams currently playing, you know, uh, I'll get in trouble with people, but you know the petrodollar football is a, is a whole different thing. It's been an education first, an entertaining second. Thank you both very, very much indeed. Uh, thanks all of you for listening. Uh, this has been the view from the lane. Myself and James and Jack uh, will be. I hope you enjoyed that, and we'll be back on Monday. Now, last time I was optimistic, Spurs got hammered, so I'm going to say we'll be back on Monday for an inquest about the battering uh, we get from Manchester City. Let's see if that changes anything. The Athletic.